Welcome to the Partnernomics Show, where industry thought leaders discuss the hottest topics in partnerships, ecosystems, and innovation. The Partnernomics Show is brought to you by Iolite Solutions, a product incubator specific to Salesforce. Now here's the host of the Partnernomics Show, Mark Brigman. All right, Mr. Chris, how you doing? It's good to, good to hang out with you again. Good to see you. 2022, big stuff coming for us. It's already here, man. How you doing, Mark? <laughs> Good. A little bit cold, but uh, other than that, doing really well, man. I'm really excited to have you be uh, one of the contributors. I know as I think back to my uh, career jumping in, the legal side of understanding partnerships was probably one of the more challenging side of the world that I came from at Sprint. We drafted a lot of our own contracts. So we, you know, we used it, we used certain templates, but we were expected to understand what indemnification was, limitation of liability, all these different pieces that, you know, I know a lot of partnering professionals, they may not necessarily be responsible for drafting those pieces, but I've always had a real appreciation for, for the legal side and definitely for awesome, cool, fun lawyers like you that are willing to jump in, kind of share some of the, the tricks of the trade, share some insights. So, man, I'm super excited to have you be one of the contributors to the Partnernomics show. Lawyers can be people too, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're not fact. all bad. <laughs> no, I'm honored that I'm, I'm honored that you reached out. This is a lot of fun. And I hope, I mean, I think it's pretty informative stuff. It's uh yeah, you got a lot of great content uh, with what you put out there, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it, Mark. So, Chris, talk to us a little bit about you. You're a law firm uh, that you own, founded, and lead. Uh, you're specifically a litigator. So, what what exactly does that mean? So, man, uh, so I get called by companies who get sued. I say companies, companies, and professionals. Uh, when they get sued, I'm I'm one of the folks that they call and. Uh, I, I take on the, the litigation and handle the negotiations with the other party. And you know, if worse comes to worse, we have to arbitrate or try it, uh, which happens sometimes. Uh, after close to 20 years of practicing with other firms, I uh, started my own gig last January, uh, 2021. It's been a blast, um, which is why it's kind of fun that you reached out to me because I have a little bit of that founder's perspective uh, in addition to having that lawyer perspective. So that, that's why I've been following your great content, uh, particularly mission statement, vision statement, core values. And I mean, boy, that just keeps us focused. That's great. Uh, that's great awesome, stuff. man. Well, do you, like I say, I mean, you've obviously been a contributor to our content uh, mm -hmm. in, in years past. You help us put some stuff together. Definitely appreciate that. But man, I love just the unique perspective that you have, because if if we do this thing right on the front end, uh, we don't necessarily need, hopefully won't need litigation on the back end, but when we do, it's awesome to have really smart seasoned professionals like yourself that can help those, uh, those individuals and those companies, um, you know, just to protect their rights and to, uh, you know, to, to resolve these issues. So. Absolutely. And you know, what happens quite a bit is when company will, companies will reach out knowing that, you know, I've had to go to the mat a few times um for other companies and they'll reach out for the perspective before a lawsuit's filed right and, and so that that gives me a good opportunity with smaller companies particularly around town i've worked with to help them with the documents their contracts and more importantly to get them to the right people when the issues are more thorny or when the issues are more detailed or specialized and uh, that that's a lot of fun for me too to keep you know tied to the uh, folks in my area who are doing different types of law yeah 
So let's jump in. Let's jump into the show. Let's hit our first question. I can't wait to, to hit you with this one and see what you think. So the question I have for you is, should businesses use click-through agreements? You know, so I know in our world of partnering, we have, say, different, uh, you know, especially kind of those affiliate referral partnerships, uh, you know, we're just kind of this click-through agreement. This is kind of how it's going to work. Or even just as a, as a consumer, right? I download Facebook. I download LinkedIn. There's a particular, you know, agreements there. Do, I guess, kind of the, my, my core question is, do these click-through agreements hold as much weight as a traditional written agreement? Well, as much weight, yeah, I think they do. Uh, most courts are looking at them saying, yeah, if, uh, if there's a click and an acceptance of terms and conditions, the, the courts are going to treat it pretty much like a written contract. Um, are, are there downfalls to it? Sure. Um, it's easier to make the language a little bit more hidden, a little bit more uh, hard to see, right, for the person who's clicking through it. And uh, it, there are traps for sure. When you're dealing with a hard written contract, a tactile learner like me, it's a little bit easier for me to absorb and see those terms. Has, has there been cases that you're aware of that um, where say, I know for me, whenever I download an app, <laughs> or I, I see these click through <laughs> agreements, it, yeah. it'd be different if I was signing up to be like say a referral partner, but I know like these click through agreements, Man, shame on me, but I only read like 0.01% of those. Is there, oh. and I may be the only person in the world I know, but <laughs> does, does that change like the, the, the hooks that's, that's in the agreement at all? Or might a judge uh, say, oh, you know, maybe there's some clause in there where this is maybe unreasonable. Mm -hmm. uh, does that lighten the load at all? Or am I still just as responsible? It, it depends. Um, what I've seen in the courts, for, for the most part, are if you click something, an affirmative action where you know some of them will have a box that says, "Hey, by proceeding, I want to, uh, I'm agreeing to these terms and conditions," right? And they click the box and they click yes. That's going to be a notice. That's going to be actual notice more times than not that there's something more to this deal than just what you're buying. You know, there are others where, you know, something will pop up on the screen. It'll say, by continuing on this website, you're agreeing to our terms and conditions. I think the, the, the language for that's called browse wrap, whereas, you know, proceeding with an order or something, and there's a box that comes up saying, here's the terms and conditions, that's click wrap is kind of the, the, the lingo. Um, both have been enforced by courts, but what we have to remember is any contract, which that's a contract, requires a mutual assent, and both parties are tasked with knowing what the deal is. Um, if you're trying to sneak something through there that's going to be very, very hidden from the user's view, getting them to agree to it, it's really going to be on you to enforce that with the court, which, as we all know, takes time, it takes money, it takes lawyers. Um, and then you got to ask yourself, what's the cost of winning? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. At the end of the day. So, so what, what I've seen is, man, you just got to make it really, really clear. One thing that I have uh, advised some of my, my, my clients about is when you have something like that come up saying, hey, you're clicking here for the terms and conditions, put out your top three or four right there in the box. And I have a handful that almost always I will recommend to my clients that they need to put out there on that uh, initial terms and conditions box because there are a few things that you want to absolutely make sure 
the buyer or the partner knows. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, it seems that there, there probably is a spot, a space for sure for these kind of click-through, very convenient agreements. That's the beauty of them, I think, is because they are convenient. But as I think about partnering contracts and partnering relationships, kind of the, the deeper, the more truly strategic we're going to have and be as partners, to, to the point that you're bringing, Chris, uh, you want them to overtly know and agree and commit to whatever it is you need. And in that case, we need to make sure that, that they are fully aware. Well, sure. And is it your experience that generally speaking, whenever you, you have that level of strategy and that strategic partnership, are you going to have a conversation? Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have, you're definitely going to have those conversations. So for sure, the, the click-through agreements, you know, would not, would not fit in that space. But, uh, you know, I think for like, for different more sales or referral or kind of lead generation sort of relationships. I think from a partnering perspective, it definitely makes sense uh, sure. to, to have these click-through agreements. Um, but just, I guess, just be mindful of, of what you have there, what the expectations are. But I really love what you, what you uh, pointed out there, Chris, and that is um, if, you, if you want them to really perform something, you need to make sure they know, put that up top. Make yes, sure they see that yes. first. <laughs> and hopefully they, they're unlike me and actually read some of those terms. Mm -hmm. All right, time's up. Yeah. Oh, good. Next question. So one thing that I had for you on that note, we we're talking about these, these back and forth, you have click-throughs, the strategic partnerships. One thing that often is litigated on those types of, of agreements is this whole issue of exclusivity. Um, and I'm curious from your perspective, you, you I mean, you have this experience um, when you're setting up these strategic partnerships with someone and are there times where it's valuable to have exclusivity or are there times where it's really just, I mean, not the right way to go? How do you distinguish that? Awesome question. And it's, I'm, I'm still to this day, I'm surprised at how many times I'm reading through say blogs or, or these different things or listening to a podcast and I hear somebody say, you know, never, never, never agree to exclusivity, right? Because we're basically, we're breaking into jail. We're putting on the handcuffs. And I think that's the worst advice that, that, that you can be given relative to exclusivity. And so I think the, the danger or the challenge or where exclusivity goes bad is when a, a company or a partner agrees to exclusivity, but there's, there's no obligation to perform. There's no get out of jail card. And so here's the way that I play it. And I, I love exclusivity, especially in highly strategic deals. So the iPhone in 2006, when uh, Apple and AT&T contracted, they launched the iPhone in 2007, there was a five-year exclusive relationship, right? So the mere fact that Apple, uh, an absolute beast and AT&T, that they agreed to it, you know, it's probably not all bad. But here's like the approach. The thing that I love about exclusivity, is especially for highly strategic partnerships, maybe you're co-creating, you're doing something for the first time, you're building this recipe for success. Um, it can simplify a relationship significantly and really channel uh, you know, that value and that energy. And, and the, key, the other key is, just like Apple did, is make it time-bound. But 
use and utilize exclusivity as a way to get focus, uh, but just simplify the business. So like the case of AT&T um, or, or Apple, I, Apple did not have to work with Verizon and Sprint and T-Mobile and AT&T. They knew they had a big elephant to eat and it just made sense for them to simplify, learn, build out all these massive processes for this national deployment of the iPhone. Mm -hmm. And then you're ready for kind of stage two and you can bring other people you know, into the mix. I'd love to get your take on that as well. With what you're describing, I mean, there's not a cookie cutter answer. And I know that's a lawyer in me saying, golly, there's no absolutes. And there really isn't. You know, if it's a big enough project I can't do on my own, you can't do on your own, but we can do it together. I think exclusivity is huge because, you know, what, what's one of the key components of risk? You know, keep in mind, we're all looking to minimize risk, right? And one of the key components to risk is uncertainty. Well, exclusivity gives you a certainty. You don't have to worry about me going to your competitor next year, or next week. You can put your resources today into the deal. Likewise, when I'm looking in my future planning, strategic planning for the next three years, I know that I'm going to be somewhat safe that you're not going to just jettison me and my work. But one of the key issues in my mind with that exclusivity is just like a marriage, how do we fight? Yeah. I mean, we have to assume that we're not going to foresee everything that could come up. But what we can foresee is how are we going to handle that, Mark? If something, if some elephant pops down in our room and uh, we've got to address it, how are we going to do that? And my sense is with these exclusivity agreements, that's one of the biggest issues. Yeah, definitely. It would be a great topic for us to, to hit um, in, in another episode is like the whole seven. Kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a lot to, lot to that one, a lot to unpack. Hey, let's toss over. I want to, uh, we'll kill the clock on this one. Let's go to the next question that I want to ask you. And that is, well, you mentioned terms of service earlier. And, you know, like whenever we download these apps, sometimes we go in and we work on the, you know, in these particular websites, we see this terms of service. Or if I step into a, an, an app that I haven't been into for a while, hey, maybe it's Google, right? We've updated our terms of service click here, check it out, go read it, those sorts of things. What exactly is a terms of service? Should companies use it uh, as, you know, a, a, say a, a, a SaaS company that's out there? Is it imperative that they have a terms of service? What will it do for them? Will it protect them at all? Right. The TOS, the term of service, um, it's also the uh, DTR, I call it the define the relationship. I mean, it's like, who are we? What are we doing? And how are we proceeding? And, you know, the, the question I think sometimes comes out, do you need terms of service? And again, I, I'm almost, almost entirely anti-absolute, which is funny because I'm not even absolute about being anti-absolute, <laughs> but you almost always need some kind of term of service because you got to define, hey, how are we going to proceed? The problem is, man, sometimes us lawyers get a hold of those things and we wordsmith it to death. You end up with a 48-page document that no one's ever going to read. And chances are in that 48-page document, there's going to be an ambiguity or eight where, you know, and if I'm the drafter of this document and if you don't have a choice in signing it, if you want to buy my product, you have to sign it. Any ambiguity is going to generally be construed against the drafter. The longer this document is, the more risk there is for ambiguity. And that's why a lot of times what I will look for is a carve out. 
yeah, let's identify the top three or four things that are important to this relationship. Um, more times than not, when I look at something and I tell a client, one of the key things is choice of venue. And this defined the relationship deal that we have. If something goes wrong and you're going to sue me, you're going to sue me here in my backyard. And um, what happens is if you're selling products, for example, online, and these products are 800 bucks, and you sell one to somebody in Rhode Island, and that person files a lawsuit in Rhode Island, your 800 bucks is already gone. It's already gone. You got to find a lawyer up there. You may have to fly up there. You have to. So you have to litigate in Rhode Island, but with a simple clause, and almost every court that I've seen will enforce a clear clause. It's a choice of venue. If you're going to buy my product, if you're going to sue me, you got to do it here. When all of a sudden, the person who is wanting to sue you has to find their lawyer here, right? And so, so that's one of the critical things that, that almost always you can do on these, uh, these terms of service. Call that one out. You know, make, it, make it very clear. Some that people is, are big and go ahead. Sorry. Well, that, that, uh, that the choice of venue that you shared, I definitely want to hit you with that question at a future, at a future <laughs> episode, because that's one that always seems to make its way into agreements. A lot of times we don't even really put a, you know, a second of thought into it. A lot of times smaller organizations, if we're looking at somebody else's paper, the bigger company, that sumo, um, we don't even really put a second of thought into it and maybe don't even really understand the ramifications of that. So it'd be good to, to take a deeper dig into that one uh, into the sure. future. But yeah, the whole terms of service piece. Uh, yeah, it is interesting because, you know, you know what, what kind of weight comes with it? How often should we update it? What does it even need to cover? Um, it seems like there's a, there's a lot of topics there. And I would imagine over the last decade, since so many with SaaS, all these different software companies, uh, software you know that, that's stepping up. I would imagine that the courts are probably trying to define that maybe a little bit better as to what goes into the terms of service and what does it actually even mean? Well, there's been cases in the last six months to your point about how often do we update it? That's certainly one question, but the secondary question to that is when we update it, how do we roll it out? You know, does, this, does the update today apply to products I sold a year and a half ago? And if not, why not? And how can we make that happen? And th those issues are being litigated. If you update a material term, back to the mutual assent thing that we talked about earlier, can you establish that there was mutual assent? You know, there may be some good strategies, you know, strategic ways to do that. Uh, but those are certainly issues that, that are popping out. But as long as you have those top three or four things that, that, that you're hammering and are not likely to change, a lot of times that's going to be a great way to at least take that level of control over the transaction. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. All right, we're ready for the next question. Time's up. Yeah, so one, one thing you and I have talked about this on a handful of occasions, I think others can benefit from your experience here and uh, maybe our, our uh, contrasting views on the issue. But when it comes to lawyer selection, um, first off, almost never is someone super excited about the fact that they have to get a lawyer involved in something. I, I'm friends like with a lot of my clients. <laughs> I know, right? And I'm, all, I'm friends with almost all of my clients and they always make fun of me. Like, you're the friend I don't want to have. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but when you're doing that, I mean, you on this business work and in, in, in your business experience have had all kinds of issues from fairly generic legal issues to overarching strategic issues that you need to balance off of your lawyer to 
very in the trenches, detail oriented. We need this to be 100% right with no, you know, we need it to be done how it's always been done. How do you manage all of those lawyers? I mean, that's because that's yeah. a lot of different, uh, different uh, disciplines. Yeah, man, that's an awesome question. And there's, I think there's definitely some insights behind this one. And that is, um, you know, we all, we all say that not all customers are created equal. Well, not all partners are created equal and, and not all partnerships are created equal. You know, partnerships are, are on this very vast continuum between one side being highly transactional, uh, procurement, supply chain management, could be sales, just very kind of commoditized. There's a, a, a recipe, a script, not a ton of unknowns. A lot of this we can nail out, right? Think of, um, you know, MSAs, master services agreements, these massive documents. We've been down this road a bunch of different times. And, uh, and so we've learned from that. So we built this ironclad MSA. Well, the opposite end of the spectrum, and really this is the world that we're seeing now in, in ecosystems, in strategic alliances, in co-creation, where we're building new software packages, we're building these new creations, uh, we're doing deeper integrations with multiple solutions, both hardware, software, analytics packages, these sorts of things. Um, that's a different world, and it's been my experience working with attorneys that if one of the, if, if, if I'm working with an attorney that has spent most of his or her life writing and, and, and drafting MSAs, they're going to be challenged and stretched and be really uncomfortable with creating documents, creating contracts that are going to be focused on highly strategic, high innovation, this co-creation, intellectual property development, sort of a relationship. What, what has been your thoughts or what kind of what's your take on that? Well, no, absolutely. There's a couple of things. One, it's experiential, right? Some lawyers have done what they've done for the last 80 years, and that's the only way they're going to think about things, right? But it's also some personality, some characteristics, right? And we all know those extraordinarily detail-oriented people that may struggle with creative strategy. And we may also know some of those creative strategists who will never get into the details. And lawyers are no different in that regard. Um, we maybe have a, a greater percentage of type A people <laughs> in our profession, but we still have those different characteristics that any given client will want to look for. And um, you know, one thing that has worked with a lot of you know, my folks is having that trust in a lawyer or a small team of lawyers to know that those lawyers are going to be able to handle the load as a general rule. But sometimes that load involves identifying the issues or issue spotting and pulling another lawyer in who's the right fit. And so, for example, with those MSAs, you may have one lawyer managing those and give that lawyer permission to say, look, these strategies are a little bit out of my world, but I know another lawyer in town here who can help. Let me bring her in. Uh, and, and that's a great relationship uh, uh, for, for a lot of these businesses to have, whether that lawyer is inside the company or outside the company. I think that makes a, a ton of sense, Chris. And, you know, to, to have this, this really is, I think, a specialized area working in these, these 
strategic alliances. And I think we're going to see even more and more uh, of these types of partnerships, these types of relationships as we go further into the future. I mean, just there's so much technology wrapped around us, software, all right, software's eating the world. There's so much software and all these oh, yeah. other capabilities to tie different uh, different solutions together to make that bigger easy button for clients. Um, I think companies will be disadvantaged if they don't take your advice to find uh, counsel that can help them work through agreements that are outside of kind of their day-to-day practice. Ooh, so, sure, yeah. I think it's yeah, awesome it, advice. What's, what's the great question? It's not, um, I think the favorite question from a lawyer should be, well, what if we blank, as opposed to a lawyer saying, well, you have to blank, right? Uh, there's a little bit of a difference between being creative with a strategic approach um, and just doing the thing, the way things that we've always done. Yeah. uh, That's, that's definitely a balance, man. That's a great question. No doubt. Well, Chris, it's been awesome checking in with you. I appreciate uh, your insights. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to having you as a contributor on the Partnernomics show. So thank you so much for coming along for the ride. Mark, I'd be honored. I appreciate you, buddy. All right. Have a great weekend. Thank you. God bless. Yep. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Partnernomics Show. Don't forget to subscribe to get the newest episodes at thepartnernomicsshow.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Iolite. To learn more about Iolite, visit iolitepro.com. And Partnernomics, the science of partnering. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics courses, coaching programs, and consulting services, visit partnernomics.com. See you on the next episode.